Hello and welcome to the Humble Pilot Podcast, episode 2 with me, Jean-Paul. Now, in episode 1, it was all about introduction, so there wasn't really much structure to the whole podcast itself, to the whole episode. So I've spent the last week thinking about how I'm going to structure the upcoming episodes, and I want to kind of share this with you guys now before we start so that you have uh, an idea of what to expect. Uh, so first things first, we're going to go through introductions, which is basically going to be just about my week, my past week, what I've been doing, what I've been up to, and uh, what I've found interesting. Then we're going to go through a section that I like to call cloud news, which is going to be just two or three points of news that regarding aviation that I found very interesting over the past, uh, well, since the previous episode. And... We're then going to cover a section called Interview You, which we're not actually going to cover today because I haven't actually uh, managed to set up the software and the hardware required to record Skype calls and edit them afterwards. Um, so I will be sorting that over the next week, hopefully. But once that is all sorted out, Interview You will be a section after Cloud News. After that, we're going to have Insta questions, which is questions from yourselves, uh, from Instagram. And if you do want to ask questions, then you can just follow me on Instagram and uh, send questions my way. I'll be happy to answer them either on Instagram and on this podcast as well. After Insta questions, we are going to be going through the where can you find me section. So my social links, uh, how you can get in touch with me and how I can get in touch with you guys as well. So let's begin. So what have we been up to this week? Um, It's actually been quite a nice week in terms of weather, especially yesterday and the day before there was a little bit of rain. But I think the nicest temperature we had was probably about five, four or five days ago. It was 22 degrees Celsius. And I imagine if you're listening from somewhere in paradise, then it probably doesn't sound very much to you. But 22 degrees here at this time of the year is absolutely gorgeous for... uh, little old Surrey, where I am in the United Kingdom. Um, So yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic in terms of weather. So we've been spending a lot of time in the garden and enjoying our time with the children. It's been really lovely. It really, really has been. One of the nicest things that we've done was that we took some of the multicoloured chalks that we've got. We've got this whole chalk box set, really. And we went out into the front garden and started to paint every single brick on the patio a different colour, more or less like a rainbow patio, I guess. And we didn't do the whole thing because it probably would have taken all day, but we did the from the door all the way to where it curves around to the driveway. And it looked absolutely amazing. The kids loved doing it. We loved the after effect. And um, the other thing was it was great to see the neighbours passing by and asking us questions from a distance, of course, because the whole, the whole social distance thing is still going on. But it was really nice to do. Um, What else have I been doing this week? Of course, I've been keeping up to date with everything in regards to coronavirus. As you can expect, it's probably affected me quite a lot. It's affected a lot of people, but it's really affected the world of aviation. So I'm on furlough at the moment, which means that I am still officially working for the company I work for, uh, but I'm on this extended leave period for the next two months, for this month and next month, and back to work officially on the 1st of June. So the government is paying for my salary at the moment, which I'm extremely glad for. But of course, I I, I can't wait to get back flying. It really, really, I really am missing it. Um, But at the same time, it's lovely to be spending time with a family and having really good quality time with a family here during this uh, this whole pandemic. Um, The most important news that I heard this week from uh, the government was i think it was about three four days ago now was that they are planning on extending the lockdown the whole 
social distancing measures for a further three weeks. It seems what they're doing is taking it three weeks at a time, looking at the numbers, seeing how many cases they've had, how many deaths, and whether the peak is starting to uh, slow down and lengthen, which is interesting, but at least we now know we're going to be in lockdown for at least another three weeks, and after that three weeks, I imagine they'll do the same thing, just check all the figures, see how everything's going on, and make another decision from there. So I, of course, I'm wondering when I'm going to be flying again, hopefully, hopefully in June. But um, like I said, it's it's not it's not too big a deal. It's not bugging me a huge amount because I'm managing to spend some really nice quality time with the family. And that's kind of it, really, for my week. So we're going to head over into cloud news now. In cloud news today, we have EasyJets announcing that they can afford to stay grounded for nine months and deal with a slow recovery. Uh, we go through airline CEOs who are taking big cuts during the coronavirus pandemic to save cash and preserve jobs. And several airlines are expecting to start commercial travel again soon, but when? Stay tuned. So in today's first story, uh, UK carrier EasyJet have announced that they would be able to survive for nine months with their fleet in their entire fleet grounded, as well as deal with a slow recovery. This seems to be primarily due to some of the many cash saving measures that they've already taken over the last several weeks, as well as some of the more recent measures that they are, that they have recently announced just a few days ago. Uh, the latest information states that the carrier will now start to shrink its fleet to meet the expected demand after the lockdowns are lifted, and have stated that if that they don't expect their fleet to be at the current levels that they are now until at least 2022. Uh, this kind of signals that EasyJet doesn't expect the recovery to be fast, which is actually completely opposite to what uh, Ryanair's Michael O'Leary is saying, because he's expecting the uh, recovery to be quite swift, it seems. The um, CEO of EasyJet, Johan Lundgren, stated uh, in an interview that we have been able to adapt ourselves to reduce demand for the next couple of years. Then we have the flexibility to increase as demand picks up again. Uh, this is actually due to a deal that the company have struck with their aircraft supplier Airbus in which they're, they're going to defer the delivery of the orders that they've placed already until at least 2021 uh, to 2022. Uh, another way as well that EasyJet have managed to put themselves in such a strong position is due to the planned buyback and leaseback of some of their older aircraft, which they hope will raise up to about £550 million. Good body analyst Mark Simpson has stated that overall, the company has presented a very credible response to the crisis. And before the crisis actually even hit, EasyJet had a quite comfortable bank balance of approximately £1.5 billion which is quite a lot of money, and that would have been able to keep the airline the, with the entire fleet grounded alive for four, five, possibly even six months at a stretch. And now with the, a further £600 million that the company have received as a loan and the cash-saving measures that they've put in place, the carrier expected to have a rough cash balance of about £3.3 billion, which kind of matches to that nine months um, grounding. That being said, that doesn't in any way mean that they expect the crisis to, to last that long or they expect their fleet to be grounded that long. That's just worst case, worst case scenarios, really. And on a positive note, EasyJet have said their winter bookings 
currently are well ahead of what they had at the same time last year. And CEO Johan Lundgren stated that he expects that travellers are going to have a real pent-up desire to head on holiday once this whole pandemic crisis is over, which I think is is, is going to be the case as well. I've already heard of many, many people who uh, can't wait to go on holiday once this whole stuff, this whole thing is over. So, uh, so yeah. The second point of note this week in news is uh, that airline CEOs seem to be taking some big cuts during coronavirus to save cash and preserve jobs. Um, it's not new news, but more and more CEOs seem to be coming out now and, and actually saying saying that they are going to be taking cuts. Um, some of these bosses are Monzo, his the CEO for Monzo, Tom Blomfield. He's taken a 100% salary cut for 12 months. That's absolutely crazy, absolutely insane, but I really do applaud him. Big respect for him. Sky's Jeremy Derrick has uh, taken as well has he's donated six months of his salary. BT's Philip Janssen six months salary has been donated as well. Royal Bank of Scotland Alison Rose she's taken a twenty five percent salary cut, and uh, she's vowed to take no bonus as well this year. Ryanair's Michael O'Leary he's taken a fifty percent salary cut for April and May. Um, ITV's Carolyn McCall, who used to be the CEO for EasyJet as well before ITV, she's taken a 20% cut with no 2020 bonus as well. Virgin Atlantic's Shai Vies has taken a 20% cut from April to July. Uh, EasyJet's Johan Lundgren has taken 20% cut, has taken a 20% cut as well for the initial three months, which I believe is uh, April, May, June. And Lloyd's Antonio Horta Osorio has uh, vowed to take no bonus as well for 2020, but nothing in terms of uh, salary cuts yet. And BAE Systems, Charles Woodburn, he's not taken anything at the moment, but he has pledged to review his pay. So I think this is fantastic news for, for these companies and for the employees of the companies who are looking you know, up at the higher-ups in the company to... to you know, make the company survive and preserve jobs as well. So, so I really do respect them for that. Finally, several airlines are expecting to start commercial travel again soon, but when? Um, so, some of the big players in the European aviation industry have given a little more clarity about when they expect to start flying again. Um, of course, this is always subject to change, as no one actually knows what's going to be happening when it comes to how you know, how drawn out this pandemic will be. But some news has arisen within the framework, but, you know, it's all whispers in the wind at the moment, so it, it, it could change. Now, although I don't kind of believe that there's going to be too much hope for this summer and enjoying summer holidays abroad this year, at least, I've, I've kind of thrown this summer away at the moment. There are people out there who still have that hope that they're going to be able to enjoy some sort of holiday before the winter sets in again. And as it stands, the advice from the Foreign Office is still that people do not go abroad in an obvious attempt to, to stop the spread of this coronavirus. TUI have stated that all of their holidays up to and including the 14th of May, as well as all their Marbella cruise holidays have been cancelled. And the company were also planning on launching TUI river cruises this summer but that has also been delayed until at least November 2020. Uh, they are expecting to start their flying schedule sometime in June, but uh, no exact date has been given as of yet. Jet2 have stated that they're not going to be restarting any commer commercial flying at all until at least June the 17th, and this seems to kind of line up nicely with the furlough agreements that most carriers seem to have put in place with their employees. 
uh, it definitely kind of matches up with with mine. Most companies seem to have the furlough agreements in place until around the June time, where full pay seems to then be restored. Uh, that, of course, is always subject to change as well if if things get extended for longer. But Jet2 have said that any flights that have been booked that fall before this date will be cancelled. But they do ask as well that customers don't try to make contact with the company. The company are contacting all the affected customers customers on a daily basis for refund options. Um, and finally, Ryanair, they've grounded over 90% of their aircraft. But they are still flying some aircraft commercially with, with massive limitations. Um, but they will still continue to, to run that li- very limited service. They are operating ghost flights to see to, to keep pilots current, as well as doing non-commercial flights for like, kind of engineering and positioning aircraft to different places to do different engineering tasks, etc., etc. Ryanair's chief executive, Michael O'Leary, has stated that a normal schedule of flights on a commercial basis won't commence until June 17th as well which is the same as Jet2, so that June 17th date again being thrown by, uh, into the uh, into the waters by a different airline. And EasyJet have been a bit more reserved in stating when they expect to start their commercial schedule again, and they actually haven't given any fixed date at all, and they, they seem to be holding their cards a little bit closer to their chest while, while the government, I guess, does the same. And I guess in an ever-changing environment, maybe it's wiser to not give any false hopes to their customers, which... Personally, I think it's probably the right way to go. At least just turn around and say, we don't know when flights are going to be happening because we don't know what the government advice or when the government advice is going to change. Uh, it's, it's impossible for anybody to know that. So probably the right way to go. But that's just my, my own opinion. So I guess there is a sense of hope for what looks to be approximately the month of June for, for, for commercial flights to be starting up again, at least with some airlines. But as mentioned, things are constantly changing on a daily basis. So I guess we just take these uh, these figures with a small pinch of salt. Now, this would be the time of the podcast where I'd go through the interview you section, which would basically just going to be an interview between me and uh, one of yourselves and the general public, whether you're just a lover of aviation whether you're a current pilot whether you're an ex-pilot or whether you are training to be a pilot i'd love to hear from all of you Um, as mentioned before i haven't actually got the whole setup ready in terms of software and hardware and recording the conversation so i'm not going to do it this week but i'd love to hear from you guys so if you do want to have an interview with me and you do want to ask me some questions and i'll ask you some questions as well then please do get in touch with me the email address is the humble pilot blog at gmail.com that's the humble pilot blog at gmail.com or otherwise you can contact me via my instagram page which is uh, the tag is the dot humble dot pilot that's the dot humble dot pilot and i'd be happy to uh, have any interviews with anybody who wants them more than happy to talk to the uh, to the community now moving on to instacues this is the section of the podcast where i answer two or three questions from instagram and um i've got three i've, I've picked three questions this week that i found quite interesting uh, the first question is a question that many many people ask me actually and it's just how did you become a pilot so i'm going to go through that now For me, I knew I wanted to be a pilot since the age of nine. I kind of explained it in episode one, how when I went on my first holiday at the age of nine to the Seychelles, I was hooked on aviation. And from that moment on, it's it's all I've wanted to do. So for me, it was quite 
easy to transition myself from childhood dream to actually making it become a reality because everything that I did in my GCSEs and my A-levels were geared for aviation. Now, once I was actually ready to start my pilot training itself, um, I had a lot of help from my dad in terms of the research. He did a lot of the research with me and we decided that it probably would be the best course to do the modular just for money reasons and also we thought it would be better to pick and choose which companies we did different sections with and it worked a treat it really worked well so I did my pilot my private pilot license PPL in Naples Air Center in Naples Florida and I did that on a PA-28 um, I did my nitrating there as well and I was actually able to get an FAA uh, PPL as well as a at the moment at the time it was a, a JAR um, license as well for for use in Europe. Um, once I came back to the UK, I then spent a few months just working, and then I went and did my ATPL ground school in Oxford. In at the time, it was Oxford Aviation Academy, and I did that there. That was six months with the the ground school, fourteen exams, and that was probably the hardest part of the whole thing. Um, the ground school really, really is intense, and as mentioned, it's six months of intense training, and you have to do fourteen exams. Some of the stuff isn't necessarily difficult, it's just sheer volume of, uh, of information that you have to digest. And some of the other stuff, you do have to know a little bit of mathematics, a little bit of physics as well. But you are trained to a very high standard in more or less everywhere that I've, I've known and everywhere that, that I hear other people training in as well. So it's nothing to be really afraid of, but you do have to put the work into it. Um, after my ATPL ground school, I went and did some hour building in uh, well, it's California. So I went to uh, San Jose because my uncle lived over there at the, at the time and rented out to PA-28 and flew all over the place. So we went up to uh, Seattle. I flew over the, uh, what was that volcano? Ma Mount St. Helens, the one that erupted and half the mountain, half the volcano just disappeared. Uh, that was absolutely brilliant. And... Uh, the thing I remember the most about that trip up to Seattle was we stopped at a place called Klamath Falls, and it was a a military base as well, um, joint civil military, and I believe it was F-16s were doing uh, circuits at a time, and we just sat there, me and Mike, because I, I, I went into the hour building with my father, we, we did it together, um, well, he joined me, so it was a great experience to have my dad there, uh, a really nice bonding experience as well, father-son type of thing. And yeah, it was fantastic to be at Klamath Falls because we just had the, the F-16s landing and taking off and doing their circuits. Um, and then we went up to, to Seattle. Um, we went down to Los Angeles. We went to Las Vegas. We uh, also went to Catalina Island, which is uh, down past the south coast of uh, Los Angeles as well. And it was lovely. It was absolutely the hour building is such a good time. So really, really do enjoy it when 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 you do it. Um, after the hour building, I came back to the UK and I did my CPL, which is commercial pilot's license, my ME, which is the multi-engine and the instrument rating. I did those in Stapleford Flight Centre, and uh, that was great as well. The instrument rating as well was done on. Uh, Diamond DA-42 Twin Star, and it was such an amazing aircraft to fly. I absolutely loved it. 
Um, once I finished all that, I went and did my MCC in Oxford again, and then that was it. I had my license. Um, after that, I had a job for uh, several months working in the cinema, uh, you know, cleaning popcorn off the seats and selling tickets, etc., etc. And then I was lucky enough to get my first job in Air Seychelles, in the Seychelles line of Twin Otters, this island hopping, which was an absolute dream. It was such a beautiful place and such an amazing aircraft to fly. Um, so, yeah, that's my story of how I became a pilot. Uh, the next question is... Uh, one of the users on Instagram lives in Iran and wanted to wanted to fly in Europe, and they asked me about the language proficiency and basically what's required. Um, so for you to be granted your license, you actually have to do a language proficiency test, and it's graded from level 1 all the way through to level 6, and you have to get a level 4 to actually be, get, to be given your license, to get the uh, radio, telephony, RT part of your license uh, passed. Now, if you do get a level four, then you have to take the assessment again every four years from the date of your assessment. Uh, if you get a level five, you have to retake it every six years. And then if you get a level six, you don't have to retake it at all. It just stays on your license uh, as long as you're not an ATCO, which means that you then have to take it every nine years. Um, now, when I did my RT license the first time, my, my language proficiency test, I, it wasn't part of my initial training. What I had to do is when I joined Air Seychelles, it was part of that type rating. So before I, before I actually could fly the Twin Otter, they made me do a test and it was on a computer and I basically had to speak into a microphone and the computer program assessed my English. Now, as you can tell, I'm, I'm a natural a fluent English speaker. I, I've, I've lived in the UK more or less all my life. So I was a bit shocked when my language proficiency number came back as level four, which meant I had to take it again in four years time. Now, when I then eventually went back to Europe and started working for Ryanair, I did my type rating there. And part of the type rating was the language proficiency test as well. They just listen to you while you're doing your, your, your simulator sessions and they give you your rating um, your your level and of course I got a level six when I was there because someone was actually able to hear me and listen to me so I think it's a bit weird that they get you to do it whether they still get you to do it now whether they still get you to do it on the computer I'm not sure but because it's part of your initial training now hopefully they're doing it face to face so someone can actually hear what you're saying and an actual human being can analyze what kind of level of english you have um so yeah that's that's basically what it is you just have to get level four or above to get your uh, your rt section of your license validated and and then that's it um so the final question is did the 737 cockpit feel cramped compared to the a320 cockpit and the short answer is yes Looking back on it now, in hindsight, now that I'm flying the A320, I can look back onto the 737 and think the cockpit felt tiny. Um, two main reasons was, one, because you had the flight yoke and that was the, the stick was basically in between your legs. So there was a massive amount of space taken up there. And two, the section, the area of the cockpit behind the pilot seat on the Airbus A320 feels enormous compared to the section behind the uh, 737. And it's strange because in the 737, we had f two jump seats behind the pilot seat. So there was one jump seat behind the captain seat itself, and there was another jump seat in the little alley, the little uh, corridor where to get, you get to the flight door, the flight deck door. 
And in the A320, you only have the one seat, and that is just the same. So it's in the little alleyway, the little uh, corridor for you to get to the flight deck door. So considering it has that much more space, there's only one jump seat compared to in the 737, it had the two jump seats and less space. So I only actually ever had to use all both the jump seats once in my entire time in Ryanair. And I was there for just under 10 years. Um, But I tell you, it was cramped, very, very cramped. Um, So yeah, the 737 cockpit is definitely a lot smaller than the Airbus A320 cockpit. Um, But you don't kind of realize it when you're flying because you still can push your seat back. And, you know, when you're in the cruise, you can relax a bit more. You can recline the seat a bit. And it's the same in the 737 and in the A320. But of course, in the A320, you don't have the flight yoke in between your legs and you do have the tray table. Now, that's one thing that I uh, (laughs) I kind of never really cared about when I was in the 737. But once you've flown an aircraft that does have that tray table it, it's such a nice little addition to have and uh, I, I to be honest I, I, I couldn't live without it now when when I whenever I fly on the a320 and I, I check in in the morning and I see that there is a defect on the aircraft and that defect is my tray table tray table's not working I'm already down in the dumps for the day and uh, it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's such a nice little addition to have. Um, but yeah, to answer the question, the seven three seven cockpit does sound does does feel a lot more cramped than the A three twenty cockpit. Um, so that's the Insta Q's done, and uh, now I'm just going to talk about where you can find me. So I like to spend my time on Instagram. Usually, uh, I love photography. I love posting photos, and I love finding out. I, lo- I love actually seeing other people's photos as well. Um, so I spend a lot of my time on Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram with my tag. It, it it's uh, at the dot humble dot pilot. Uh, that's at the dot humble dot pilot, and uh, you'll find me there. And if you do follow me, or if you don't follow me, all you have to do is send me a message. If you have any questions whatsoever about aviation i am more than happy to to answer them as soon as i have the time uh, if i don't answer them straight away i will answer them in time do not worry i, I get back to, to everybody that, that asks me um, genuine questions and also i might even put them in the podcasts as well also if you want to check out my blog which is the humblepilot.com um, i have blog posts that i try to post every two weeks or so uh, the last one was about the future of aviation and uh, Wright Electric, which is a company which is uh, developing the Wright One electric aircraft. Uh, it's an interesting read, and it also talks about the future of battery technology, which is it's coming soon, guys. It really is coming soon. So if you want to get in touch with me, that those are the channels. And on my website as well, there are links at the bottom for the other social media channels, but uh, the main one, of course, being Instagram. Well, anyway... That's it. Thank you very much for listening to me for the past uh, 25 to 30 minutes. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. And uh, hopefully I will see you guys in episode three. Happy contrails.